So yesterday, we had some guests over the house in the morning for a little brunch. My wife had some people over, and um, I think it's really good that we have guests in the house, because if we didn't, I'm convinced that we would never clean the bathrooms. <laughs> and it, not to brag, but I'm really good at cleaning the bathrooms. I'm the one who cleans the bathrooms, and they, I do it so well, and they are spotless when I am done. But thank you, thank you. But, um, it, but you know, every now and then, you, so this is when we know guests are coming. Every now and then you get a surprise guest, and they'll say, oh, I just need to use the bathroom before I leave. And I'm thinking... Oh no, this is not good. This is, this is, this, I was not ready. I was not prepared for this. Now, I know you're sitting there thinking, well, the answer is just have them clean all the time. Well, that's great for you. Um, That's a wonderful goal. It doesn't always work that way, and I am imperfect. Uh, So today, I share that because today we, we consider the message of John the Baptist. His message is the king is coming. Get ready, be prepared, have your house in order, because he's coming. And it's, it's an interesting message. This is a message that comes at a very specific point in time. So we have this list of names, and Larry, you did a great job reading through all those. Uh, this list of names pinpoints the ministry of Jesus to a very specific time. Uh, to, to, it narrows it in to about the year A.D. 27. And then the word of God comes to John. So in the Old Testament, in the time of the prophets, the, the for, a common formula as prophets were writing was, you know, in a certain year of a certain ruler, such and such a ruler, the word of God came to so-and-so, the prophet. So with that same formula, we have here, in this very specific year, the word of God comes to a man named John. But there hadn't been a prophet in Israel since the time of Malachi. It was about 460 years earlier. So people heard that the word of God was coming through this prophet and they came from all over to hear the message. What is this word that God has given to this man, John? And the message was this. Prepare the way for the Lord. And here's why this is an important message for us today. This preparation, this message about how to live in such a way where your heart and your life is ready for Jesus' kingdom. Jesus came and he established that kingdom, and that is the kingdom in which we live today. So the very same preparation that these people needed then is the same preparation we need to live in God's kingdom today. So it's completely relevant to us as Christians. So we can ask ourselves, well, how is my heart doing relative to Jesus' kingdom? Is my heart tuned to his ways today? Or how has this week been for me? Is is Jesus' kingdom a present reality in my my day-to-day life this week? How, um, How do I live as if Jesus is king? How is this going? And you might be sitting here and you say, absolutely. Jesus is the king of my life. That is the most important Um, reality in my life. It drives everything that I do. His kingship and his lordship is central in my life. Praise God if your heart is there this morning. But there may be other of you in this room who say, you know, uh, I understand this idea, but as I consider my own heart, as I consider the notion of Jesus as king of every area of my life, you know what, That's, uh, that's something I struggle with. 
That's something that maybe even this week, it hasn't been as vibrant of a reality for me as I feel like it maybe should be. There also might be some of you this morning who say, well, you know, I, 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 I'm just here visiting. I'm just kind of exploring the Jesus thing. I know you people love to sing about Jesus and, and sing about this kingdom, but I, I don't think I'm living in that kingdom. I'm not even sure what it means, perhaps. And if that's you this morning, my prayer for you is you consider John's call to be prepared, that it would be an invitation, that even this morning, this would be an invitation to you to respond that today you might know Jesus' kingdom, that you might know his salvation, that you might know his grace in some way. So whether you're just on fire, you're loving living in this kingdom, or you're struggling with it, or you're just exploring it, this word for us today can move you to be even more in line and more prepared and more ready for, to live tomorrow and this afternoon in Jesus' kingdom. And it's about his salvation. It's about seeing and experiencing his salvation. And that is good news. And we all need good news. So let's pray as we consider this. Father, I I stand before you and I repeat the prayer that we've all already said together. Thy kingdom come and thy will be done. May we never be people who pray these words week in and week out and forget the great meaning of it, that we desire to live in your kingdom, to see your kingdom unfolding in our world, in our everyday, that we would desire to see your will done in all things. So in this time, as we consider your word, we submit ourselves to you and to your authority. Speak to us in this time. We pray in Jesus' name. So I want to do three things here. The first is consider this message, the call of John to the people to prepare the way. Secondly, I want to look at the improper response to that. What would be a bad way to respond to that? And then thirdly, what is the correct response to this uh, this message, to this call? So uh, first thing is the call. So the word of God comes to John, and in verse 3, he is preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So baptism, literally a washing. So it was a ceremonial washing. It was a baptism of repentance. So it was a washing that symbolized repentance, literally means turning. So in this case, turning away from sin. And it was for the forgiveness of sin. And remembering, well, what is sin? Sin is not just the bad things that we do. And it's certainly that. But sin is also the the condition of the human heart. It's an illness of the human heart that desires to rebel against God, to put ourselves first and to put his way aside. So John is teaching this this baptism for repentance. And in verse 4, we see that this message is a fulfillment of a prophecy that was made years before, hundreds of years before, by the prophet Isaiah, chapter 40. So it says here in verse 4, a voice calling one in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight his, the paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight and the rough ways smooth. Now, 
in the ancient world, there were no smooth roads, no paved roads. The roads in the ancient, in the ancient world were essentially just wherever you could pull a cart or a wagon, perhaps a couple of ruts or a path that was beaten down by animals. There's no really nice roads, except if you live near a king. A king with all of the resources of Rome. And when a king would travel in the ancient world, the king would bring a team of engineers and construction workers to go ahead and to make that way smooth, filling in every pothole, leveling everything, and even paving in some instances. So whenever the king would travel, the road would be nice and smooth. So here the message is, prepare the king's highways. That there is a very important king coming, and we've got some work to do. We've got we to level this thing out. It's all crooked. It's, it's, all, uh, it's all high and low, and we're going we're gonna to level this and prepare the way. We've got to get ready, because this king is bringing salvation, and it is a good thing. And, and it, it, this is a great king, and this king is even greater than me. John said, this king who's coming, this Messiah king, I'm not even worthy enough to be considered his servant. I'm not even worthy enough to be the one who would untie his shoes. The lowest level of association next to this king, I don't even deserve. And John was a great man. John was a man of faith. John was a courageous man, as we read about his life. Jesus himself said in the Gospel of Matthew, he said, among all those born of woman, there is none greater than John the Baptist. Jesus himself said, he's, of all the people on earth, he's the greatest. And John says, compared to Jesus, I am nothing. I can't even be his lowest servant. And John said, that king is coming and you'll see his salvation. Now, ironically, Jesus comes and Jesus is a servant to John and a servant to you, and a servant to me. He came not to, to be served as a king, but to give his life on the cross for our sin, in our place. And that king comes and serves us. But John, recognizing who this king is, says, I'm not worthy to be his servant. So the message is, we need to get ready. we got to get the roads ready. So how do we respond? Improper response. Let me give you two of them. The first improper response we see in verse 7. So John says to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? The first improper response is that this is all just an outward religious act. They came to be baptized, but he says, You're still a brood of vipers. Your heart is still far from this kingdom. They were, these people were coming just to perform a ritual just to do the ceremonial washing. Rather, John says, you should produce fruit in keeping with repentance. This outward act is not enough. The outward act, is, it's, it's symbolic. It's a statement saying, I need washing. I need cleansing because I am a sinner. I need to repent and turn from my sin. Then, he says, if you truly, if your heart is in line with what you've just declared by this washing, by this baptism, it will change you. It will produce fruit in your life that you can then live out, but just the act itself is not enough. For us here this morning, that, that, that same temptation exists. That you might say, well, I've, I've been baptized, and 
I go to church, and I, you know, I receive communion, and I do these external things, but they themselves are not good enough. They're good things. Is baptism bad? No, baptism is good, but not by itself. I, I met with someone this week who grew up going to church, and he was describing his experience, and as an adult, totally walked away from church in his faith. And he said, look, you know, when I was a kid, I was involved in church in the way that Kids could be involved in our church. And we went to church every week. And we did the same ritual and routine every single week. He said it did nothing. It was just totally disconnected from when I left on Sunday to Monday. There was no connection in the week. But week after week, we'd go back and we'd do the same ritual. And it just means nothing to me. I'm sure you you know people, or maybe you yourself have experienced that, that no... No religious act, no way of going through the motions will ever work. We must be people who, whose hearts are changed, who produce fruit. Jesus said, this is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. There is a way of life that as we do, let's say, religious practices or gather in worship, that, that propel us, that, that actually change our hearts to propel us to live fruitful lives. It's, it's flowing from our, our knowledge that we are sinners and we need repentance. And it flows from not the things that I do, but it flows from God's grace. And that's why we talk about following Jesus as a whole life thing. This is not just a Sunday morning thing, but it's a whole way of life following him. And even, even John said, look, I baptize you with water, but this doesn't work. There's somebody coming after me. The one who's coming after me, he's going to give you the real baptism with the fire if his Holy Spirit will genuinely cleanse you. This water is symbolic of your heart ready to receive that. But that's the real one. This one will never save you. And, and you, can't, you can't do enough rituals to earn it. It's his grace. He gives it to you. That's, that's the proper response. So it's not about an outward act. The other wrong or improper response here we see at the end of verse 8. John says, And do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. I call this improper response the, the I'm all set response. You know, I'm all set with God. I'm all set in his kingdom because I've, I've, um, it's conferred to me because of my association. And, and here, the association is a very important one. They said, we're connected, we're descendants of Abraham. Now, Abraham was a man who God made beautiful promises to. God went to Abraham and he said, through you, I'm going to bless you, and all your descendants after you, I'm going to bless them, and all the nations of the world will be blessed through you and your descendants. Amazing promise. And... So John is predicting that these Jewish people who are descendants of Abraham would say, hey, you know, you're calling people to repentance, but you know what? We're the chosen people. We're the one who, we're going to be a blessing to the world. They're the ones who need to repent and get in line with this thing, because that's, we we, we are that. And what, (laughs) what, uh, what John says to him is, he says, hey, I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. 
The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. It's not about being a, having the right, being the right descendant or having these relatives. Where's the fruit of your life and your faith? Jesus ran into this. John predicted it, and Jesus runs into the same problem. Jesus comes ushering in God's kingdom, and people said, hey, we're already part of it because we've got Abraham. Abraham's our father. And Jesus says, actually, the devil is your father. He said, if you, if you listen to my teachings, you'd obey me, and you would know the truth. The truth will set you free. They said, we don't need to be freed. We've got Abraham. We've got all the promises. And Jesus said, if you were Abraham's children, in John chapter 8, he said, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the things that Abraham did. Abraham was known as someone who put his faith in God. Abraham trusted God, and that was what made him righteous. That's why he was known to be righteous, because he trusted God. He said, if you were really Abraham's children, then you would trust God too. And again, then the Bible teaches, Galatians 3, those who believe are children of Abraham. Also, Galatians 3.29, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants and heirs according to the promise. You see, you see John's baptism was a really big deal, not because people were being baptized. Because he didn't invent baptism. And in the, in the Old Testament times, if a non-Jewish person wanted to become a follower of the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the Old Testament. If you wanted to worship and follow that God, you would convert, and part of your conversion was a baptism. You would, and you would do it yourself. You go into water and you wash symbolically, you know, cleansing yourself and associating yourself with this God who forgives. So John didn't invent that. People were doing that. But what John said was, it's not just the non-Jews the, the Gentiles that need this, it's everybody. It's Abraham's children too. Every single one of us needs this washing. And you can't do it to yourself. Somebody has to do it for you. It's, it's a gift. It's, it's We experience as Jesus' grace given to us. You can't do it yourself. And again, the same temptation. We might say, hey, I've been baptized. Or hey, I, I, I'm a Christian. I grew up in this church. I am a member of Free Christian Church, of the wonderful Free Christian Church. Of course I'm all set. And John the Baptist takes us out in the parking lot and he says, hey, you see those cigarette butts and the gum wrappers? I can make, God can make a member of Free Christian Church out of the gum wrappers. Big deal. Where's your heart? Are you putting your faith in the king and letting that faith transform you? There's a big difference between saying, I am a Christian, versus saying, I trust Jesus as the king of my life, and it is changing me, it is producing fruit in me. Those are two different things. It's not about outward religious acts, it's not about our association. So then what, what is it? What do we do? Well, I'm glad you asked, because in verse 10, they ask, what should we do then? And here's the proper response. What should we do? The first response is to everybody. Verse 11. John answered, Anyone who has two shirts should share with one who has none, and anyone who has food should do the same. So this is what it looks like to bear fruit in this kingdom. You've got 
food and there's people who need food, you, you share with them. You see people who need clothes, you give them clothes. Wait a minute. This major road construction for this amazing king who's greater than anything we could ever imagine. And we're filling in every low place and we're taking down the high. We're making it straight and smooth. This massive preparation is about sharing food and clothes? Yeah. And here's why. When you say, I'm a sinner and I need a savior, I am now saying I can't do it on my own. I can't do the relig- enough religious practices. I can't have the right associations in my life to earn me this. God's given it to me by his grace. Then you realize it's not about you. And then you have eyes that are open and a heart that is being changed by his grace to be able to do simple acts of kindness in your everyday. You realize, wow, other, I have resources and people need them and I can share them. It manifests itself not in these grand spiritual sacred practices, but in profoundly simple everyday tasks. You on your own giving to people in need. That's for everyone. Uh, Another group, uh, in verse 12, even tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? John says, don't collect any more than you're required to. So tax collectors were, in in Jesus' day, notoriously dishonest. I mean, there was, the the Bible describes uh, sinners and tax collectors. So there's there's sinners, and there's a whole other class of sin called tax collecting. And, what we, and the reason was, because you, you see it here in this list of rulers, you know, you've, got the, you've got Caesar, who's over all of Rome, and then you've got these kings and the local governors, and they would have to collect taxes, the local governors would have to collect taxes for the kings, who then have to give the taxes to Rome. So each, to become a tax collector, to get the contract to be a tax collector, you have to promise a good cut to your governor, who's promising a good cut to the king up to Caesar. And then you, as a tax collector, take your cut. Nobody knows what Rome's tax code... You think our tax code is complicated. Nobody knew what the tax was in Rome. And you couldn't, you know, ask somebody the next, you know, kingdom over because you had no access to that. So you would just pay whatever they charged you. And you could see the temptation for a tax collector to uh, inflate prices for his own gain. And interesting, John doesn't say, hey, tax collector, sin class... Don't be a tax collector. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say quit your job as a tax collector. He says, be honest. All right, so wait a minute. This, this great king is coming and we're, we're leveling the road and you're saying just simple honesty is that? Is that being fruitful? Yes. Because when you realize that your sin put Jesus on the cross and that he forgives you of that and gives you new life, and extends his grace to you, you know that you are responsible to him. And you want to honor him and live a moral and upright and just life. So you be honest at work. There's another group. Verse 14, the soldiers. It says, some soldiers asked him, what should we do? And he replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. So now again, soldiers, not... Roman national soldiers, but they're the local in Galilee. You get Herod. He would hire local Jewish people to, to be kind of your rent-a-soldier for enforcement of, of laws and things. And they were 
known to use their authority to intimidate people, to extort money out of people, to, um, to gain for themselves. And here's John's instruction. Again, he doesn't say you shouldn't be a soldier. He said uh, you need to bring justice to a system that is just where there is no justice. There's a lot of injustice in what your people do, and you need to be somebody who does it right. For us sitting in this room, what does it look like for us? John would say, don't quit your job and become a pastor. It's not, it's not as glamorous as it looks, so trust me. But he would say, think about your everyday work. How can you operate every day and be honest and upright? Not just seeking your own gain or how you could profit off other people. And how can you bring justice where you see injustice in your world? How can you be a person who puts others first where you can share what you have from the abundance of what you have with people who are in need? That's what it looks like. And what would that look like for you? John would ask us. And that's how we would live fruitful lives in line with God's kingdom. You'll notice all three of these things are related to money and resources. The tax collector, the soldier not taking money and sharing food and clothing. When we associate our hearts with Jesus' kingdom, again, our kingdom of sin, we're turning from that, we're aligning with him, we realize what true value is when Jesus is king. How much do I really need and what am I, what am I willing to do to get it? And how that changes, how our hearts change in his kingdom. And that's it. That's the call of preparation of our hearts. It starts with repentance. I'm a sinner. Jesus is the savior. We put our trust in what he accomplished on the cross and that changes our hearts and it bears fruit every day. Simple, it's so simple lived out in our lives. And in verse 18 says, with many other words, John exhorted the people and proclaimed the good news to him. This is good news because by it we are saved and by it we can experience the God of the universe and we then can be a blessing to the world around us. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for sending prophets to, uh, to call your people to turn to you. We thank you for coming to this world to save us, to show us your kingdom. May you give us eyes that can see your kingdom every day as we leave this place and as we go. Your kingdom is not just in sacred spaces, not just in the halls of churches, not in the, the religious acts, and those are beautiful things, but Lord... Show us every day where you're calling us to administer justice, to share what we have, to be content, to love. Father, I pray if there's anyone in this room who is hungry for it, whose heart feels unprepared for you, that you would, even as we reflect and as we hear a song of your reign in your kingdom in this world, that faith would be put in you this morning and that we would all leave here prepared. We thank you for your goodness, our good king, our loving king. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.